We are in Numbers chapter 8 this evening. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 8. Is it just me or does it seem like we're having an exceptionally nice spring? Like, got the moisture, now we're getting some warm weather. I'll say that and then it'll be a blizzard, but just been enjoying it. It's been a blessing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come and draw near to you. We thank you that you are the God who restores. You tell us in your word that you restore our souls. As we read your word, may we experience the the truth of your provision, of you providing shade and warmth and guidance in our lives where we need answers and comfort. Would you provide it tonight? So, Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up in southern Oregon, and it gets uh, surprisingly hot there. It's a little different from Portland and Seattle. It's far enough south where you just get some really warm uh, summers. And I remember, you know, doing yard work or shooting hoops or playing a round of golf and it easily being 100 degrees and then some clouds would come over, and they just feel so good. There's nothing like that shade on a, on a hot, hot day. The children of Israel are traveling through the wilderness. They've been delivered from bondage, going to the promised land. Surprisingly, it ends up being a 40-year process in the wilderness. A generation dies in the wilderness from from unbelief. And what we're going to see tonight is that God provided a cloud for them by day and a pillar of fire by night. This cloud would hover over the tabernacle. They weren't to move until the cloud moved. The psalmist tells us that they actually traveled underneath the cloud. Wouldn't you if you were in a hot desert, hot wilderness? Several years ago on an Israel trip, we went way down into southern Israel by the Red Sea, and I have not seen wilderness like that. When we talk about wilderness uh, in Colorado, it's a whole different thing of wilderness in the Middle East. This land that they're traveling through during this period, it's just hot and miserable without a lot of vegetation. And God was gracious enough to lead them with shade. Say, I'm going to provide this cloud, this huge cloud to cover the multitude of Israel. I'm going to lead you by this cloud. The application for us in our lives is God's presence is the tabernacle. Jesus is our tabernacle. We're able to enjoy God's presence, and he'll lead us many times with shade for his provision. Where's the shade in your life that God is providing? Follow that. But the hard part is, is there would be times for the children of Israel where the cloud would just hang out for weeks and months and they had to camp out and wait. I don't know about you, but that's hard to do, even in the shade. All right, God, let's get this moving forward. Let's do this promised land thing. God's like, nope, I just want you to wait. What are we doing today? We're waiting another day, right? And then there would be no doubt sometimes where they're ready to keep moving and God stops and the cloud stops. Or maybe they're enjoying the fact that, okay, let's camp out here for a while and the Lord's like, no, let's move on. So it takes a lot of trust and flexibility to trust the Lord as he leads us with his provision. Verse one of chapter eight, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and say to him, 
When you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand, speaking of the menorah. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face towards the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold. For its shaft to its flowers, it was hammered work, according to the pattern which the Lord had shown to Moses, so he made the lampstand. How was this lampstand made? With hammered gold. What's the work that God does in our lives? Many times he hammers us with trial, and it purifies our faith. As we go through trial and difficulty, if we allow it to, it exposes the weakness of our faith, it purifies our faith, and the result is a greater light unto the Lord, a greater lampstand unto the Lord. These next set of instructions are for the Levites and how the Levites were to be set apart to God, set apart for his service. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purification on them and let them shave all of their body and let them wash their clothes so make themselves clean. The purification water was to be placed upon them to, to cleanse them. They needed to be cleansed before they served. And that's the work that God wants to do in our lives. He wants to cleanse us before we, we serve. And how are we cleansed? We're continually cleansed by the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us positionally. Also, practically, they were to shave all of their hair off of their, their body and wash their clothes. We've been positionally cleansed by Christ, and God also wants us to practically walk in that freedom that he has given to us. In Psalms 119, it says, how will a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. So it's practically putting into steps that line up with the cleansing that God has provided for us. In verse eight, then let them take a young goat goat, or young bull, excuse me, with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering. There's no servant of God that's without sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. These Levites needed a sacrifice for their sin. The only one that is without sin is Christ. And you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel, so you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. This is a powerful moment. As the Levites are being set apart to serve in the tabernacle, they're brought before the children of Israel, and the children of Israel lay their hands on them in prayer. It's been said, and I think it's true, that great congregations make great pastors. <laughs> and thanks so much for praying for our pastoral team. We, we need the, the prayer. And here the whole body of the children of Israel join in this calling and they say, we're praying for the Levites. We're laying hands upon the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord in a wave offering from the children of Israel that they may perform the work of the Lord. The Levites are being set apart for service on behalf of the whole children of Israel. Maybe something similar to this today would be as a church when we send out missionaries. 
It takes a, a body of believers praying and supporting. It takes someone sending in order for people to go. And it took sacrifices from the children of Israel in order for the Levites to be cared for so that they could focus on the service of the tabernacle. In verse 12, then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls and you shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. And you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. After that, the Levites shall go into service the tabernacle of meeting. So you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering. So for generations, the Levites were to serve in the tabernacle and eventually the temple. They didn't have a choice for vocation, for a career. They were Levites. It was in their genes. Oh, so they had to be priests. They had to serve inside of the, the tabernacle. This whole idea that we have where, where we get to choose our vocation and choose our career, that wasn't something that, that they had the opportunity to do. Because they were Levites, they belonged to the Lord and they served in this, this way. In verse 15, for they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I've taken them for myself instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel. At Passover, the first Passover, God said, all the firstborn males belong to me. So instead of God taking the firstborn male from each family to serve in the tabernacle, he said, we're going to simplify this and I'll take the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi will be the ones who serve me in, in that manner. Verse 17, for all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both male and beast, on the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. So with the Levites, we get this picture of sanctification. And we know in the New Testament that Christ has sanctified us. It means that we're set apart for a purpose. The Levites have been set apart for a purpose. We by Christ have been set apart, as a per by, set apart for a purpose to love him, to serve him, to be used by him, to place our lives as a living sacrifice on the altar. Verse 18 I've taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel, and I've given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. Verse 20. Thus Moses and Aaron and all of the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according to all that the Lord commanded concerning the Levites, so the children of Israel did to them. So they walk in obedience to dedicate the Levites to service. And the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes, and Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. After the Levites went in to do their work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is what pertains to the Levites. From the 25 years old and above, 
one may enter to perform in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And at the age of 50, they must cease performing this work and they shall work no more. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall do to the Levites regarding their, their duties. So when we look at the tribe of Levi and the way that they're set apart to serve the Lord, how do you view them? Do you go, these guys kind of lost out. They weren't allowed to go to war. They weren't allowed to own property. They were dispersed throughout the nation of Israel to be able uh, to serve. Or do you go, man, there's blessing in service. As they're traveling through the wilderness, it's the Levites who get to camp closest to the presence of God to the tabernacle. They're getting to come in and out of the tabernacle in a way where the rest of the nation of Israel was not allowed to. But even more importantly, how do we see service in our own lives? Because real joy is found in serving, isn't it? Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. The most miserable days for me is when I'm self-focused. The most fulfilling days or when I'm Christ-focused and others-focused. Paul exhorts us in Philippians 2 to have this mind that was in Christ. How did Christ think? How did he go through his life with his thought process? And he esteemed other people better than himself. He put other people's needs before our own. And to simply go through our day that way. Okay, Lord, you've put me before this person. How can I serve them? How can I love them? How can I esteem their needs better than my own. God, I want, I want to serve you. As we're gathered together as believers, God, who's, who's here that I can serve? Who's here that I can lift up? Who's here that I can, can build up? But there's real blessing in being set apart uh, for service. Chapter nine, the children of Israel are encouraged to celebrate the second Passover. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. In the first month of the second year after they've come out of the land of Egypt, saying, let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of the month at twilight, you shall keep it at the appointed time according to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. Passover was when God delivered the children of Israel out of bondage, the last plague upon the Egyptians. God told the Israelites, get a lamb, and kill this lamb and put the blood of the lamb upon your door. Then death passed over, judgment passed over their homes because of the blood of the lamb. The Egyptians did not apply the blood to the door and they lost their oldest. So you have the, the oldest passing away and this is what moved Pharaoh to finally say, okay, you guys can go. But God wanted the children of Israel to then remember their deliverance once a year on Passover by eating a lamb together with bitter herbs. And this carries on to Israel today, celebrating the, the Passover. Now, Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover. He's the Passover lamb. When John the Baptist saw Jesus and announces Jesus as the Messiah, he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When we believe in faith in Christ, his blood is applied to the door of our hearts and judgment passes over. When we celebrate communion, we're celebrating Passover. Jesus instituted communion on Passover with his disciples. So communion is the fulfillment of 
Passover. We don't ever want to forget the deliverance that Jesus has provided. It's easy to forget. It'd be easy for the children of Israel to go, okay, one year has passed. We're thankful that we've been delivered in such a powerful way, but why do we need to stop and remember? And so many exhortations in scripture to remember because we're a a forgetful people. That's the message of communion. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget me. Don't forget my sacrifice and what my sacrifice has accomplished in your life. So it's important for us to keep the main thing the main thing. It's important for us to celebrate the fulfillment of the Passover in Christ. Verse four, so Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. So they were obedient to keep the Passover. Now, there was certain men who were defiled by human corpses so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, we became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? It would be easy for them to not ask this question. This was a requirement. If you touch a dead body, you're unclean, so you can't celebrate Passover. But they figured, you know, let's ask. And there's a lesson for us, is what's the harm in asking? It's important to ask. How many wonderful answers did the disciples get from Jesus because they asked, right? So this guy asked the question, and then Moses in his wisdom said to them, stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. It'd be easy for Moses just to give his opinion on this. So here it is. But instead, he says, let me ask God. Let's see what God has to say about this. And God speaks. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. So God says, yeah, if you had someone in your family pass away and you touch their their corpse, you can still celebrate Passover. There's a real misnomer when it comes to communion, and that is, if there's death inside of us, we can't take communion. If there's sin in my life, then I must be unworthy to take communion. And 1 Corinthians 11 tells us to not take communion in an unworthy manner. But when we study that chapter, the church of Corinth was drinking to the point of excess, eating to a place where they're engorged on food, and it wasn't about what Christ has done for them. That's what an unworthy manner is. So if we waited till there was no death in us, or we waited till we were worthy, we'd be waiting to take communion for a really long time, wouldn't we? So we can come in confidence to take communion, and I suggest to you that the best time to take communion is when we are in sin. To search our hearts, confess that to the Lord, to receive his forgiveness afresh, And by making much of Jesus, we're taking communion in a worthy manner. In verse 11, on the 14th day of the second month at twilight, they may keep it. They may eat with it unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Why unleavened bread and bitter herbs with Passover? 
Well, yeast represents sin. Unleavened bread speaks of God's purifying work in our lives. And Jesus is the fulfillment of unleavened bread. And his purity purifies our lives. We allow Christ to to purify us. The bitter herbs, there's something bitter about Passover, isn't there? All of these Egyptians who died, the judgment that we deserve, the lambs that were slain, Jesus who died on the cross for us, the bitterness of what he had to go through on the cross. Verse 12, they shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones according to all the ordinance of the Passover, they shall keep it. So no leftovers. Some of us guys are like, sweet, that's the way I like to eat anyway, right? Like, might as well eat all of it. But that was the instruction with Passover, is you eat all of it. But what's interesting is don't break the bones of the lamb. Jesus, as he was crucified, the Roman soldiers were coming to break his legs, to go ahead and expedite the process of death, but they noticed Christ had already passed away, so instead they pierced his side, and blood and water flowed to confirm that he had died. The Psalms speak of that none of Christ's bones would would be bought, broken. This is a fulfillment of prophecy, the Passover lamb, that Jesus' bones were not broken upon the cross. Verse 13, but the man who is clean and is not one on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people because he didn't bring the offering of the Lord at his appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. So if you just decided, I don't want to keep Passover, and you didn't have a reason for that, then you'd be cut off from the people of Israel. So God's showing the importance of Passover. And communion has that kind of importance. We want to make it a part of our ongoing relationship with the Lord to to celebrate communion. In verse 14, And if a stranger dwells among you and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover and according to a ceremony. You shall have one ordinance both for the stranger and the native of the land. So God's wanting to share himself with the Gentiles. If a stranger's among you and he wants to celebrate Passover, allow for him to, to do that. Now we get into this instruction with the cloud and the pillar of fire. Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the Lord covered the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, from evening until morning. It was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. So God's presence is accompanied with shade and warmth. And haven't you found that to be true? That God's presence provides shade and it provides warmth. I believe it's what the psalmist is really speaking to about taking refuge in God. Taking refuge in the name of God, the character and nature of God. Who he is and our nearness to him, his nearness to us becomes our shade. Have you been through a really difficult time or are currently going through a really difficult time of your life? It's, it's a wilderness and you find God's presence to be a sure place of refuge. You go, wow, there's so much shade here in the midst of this difficulty because I'm finding myself in the secret place. I'm finding myself abiding underneath the shadow of, of his wings close to my father's heart. Oh, that there's shade here. 
and in the sorrows of night and the, the sleepless night, those nights where there is the difficulty of the, the world upon us to know, oh, there's warmth here in God's presence, to find ourselves praying through sections of scripture, to getting up and sitting on the couch and drawing near to the Lord, getting on our knees before him and enjoying the word, that there is real shade and there is real warmth in the presence of God. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey and in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. The cloud guides them. When the cloud moves, they're to move. When the cloud doesn't move, they're to stay put. And we get detailed instructions on this, verse 18. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. And at the command of the Lord, they would encamp. And as long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning. When the cloud was taken up in the morning, they would journey. Whether by day or by night, wherever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. So this would require patience. What if God allowed the cloud to stay put for a year? Okay, Lord, this is where you have us to be. There's shade here. There's warmth here. There's your, your provision. So I'd like things to move forward at a different pace, but this is where you have us. This is where you have our family. Have you ever discovered that life very rarely, if ever, turns out the way that you thought it would? It's according to his plans. It's according to his purposes. May I encourage you tonight if you have God's provision, but the Lord's having you wait, just wait. Because it gets really hot when you step outside of that cloud. When we make decisions out of impatience, then we face real, real difficulty. And our hearts tend to wander in times of waiting. Where we get anxious and we want to make a change just for, for making a change. Just, just stay put and wait. There's some decisions that we're praying through as a, as a pastoral team, some decisions that I'm praying through in ministry, and you can pray for me in this, and it's been months of not having a clear answer, and I don't like it. I'm ready for an answer, right? As a leader, I feel like I, I need to provide an, an answer with this, with this decision, and it's not a sin issue or anything like that, but it has to do with, with a ministry we had our young adults pastor, David, move to Michigan and talked to him on the phone today and he's doing great and we're looking for our next young adults pastor and we've probably interviewed more people for that position than we've ever interviewed in any other position that I can, that I can remember. And we're still waiting for God's clear direction and guidance on that. And everything inside of me is like, well, let's make it a call. Like, 
this has gone on long enough and you know, it's been all of like three months. I think, I think David left in January and here we are in April and I'm like, you know, this is taking so long, right? It's like, okay, Lord, if, we're gonna wait. We're gonna wait until you make it clear and, and you make, make it evident. But it's really easy to make a decision out of impatience. So if you find yourself there, wait. But then there's times where God would move the cloud and he's saying it's time to go. We read in this text that sometimes God might do it in the middle of the night. Who wants to get up in the middle of the night and pack up all your stuff, pack up the the tabernacle, but God's like, okay, let's go. What if they made a whole day's journey and put in a lot of miles? Remember, they're walking and God says, okay, let's do that again tomorrow. No, I'm ready for some rest. So there's times that we have to be patient, but then there's times that we have to be flexible to say, okay, it's time to go, it's time to move. God, you're, you're doing something here. So how does this work out in our lives in the new covenant? Because a lot of you would say, man, I would really like a cloud to just lead me around, like a physical, literal cloud to lead me around and a pillar of fire by night, like that, that would be awesome. Well, this really pictures the life of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Colossians chapter three, it says, let the peace of God rule your hearts. And that word rule is an umpire saying inbounds and out of bounds. The peace of God is the cloud. The peace of God is that provision. And as we're going through life and we're like, you know, I don't have the peace of God in this. There isn't God's provision. There isn't God's, God's leading. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God's going to lead us through his spirit. He's going to lead us through his word. Oftentimes, he's going to lead us through the wise counsel of brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're letting the peace of God rule us. We're letting the the peace of God guide us. There's times when we're making decisions where we go, I don't have the peace of God in this. If I'm really honest, I'm trying to do this in my own effort, in my own strength. And then there's other times where God is giving us his peace and he's giving us his leading, and he's giving us his direction, right? And so we want to wait upon the Lord and allow the Spirit to lead us and allow the peace of God to, to lead us. In verse 23, and at the command of the Lord, they remained encamped, and at the camp of the Lord, they journeyed, and they kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So they were faithful to do that. Chapter 10 tells us of these two silver trumpets. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for the calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. So the first use of the trumpets was for gathering and mobilization, getting the congregation together for the purpose of movement. We've got a fairly large family, four, four kids, six of us, and we've often joked, especially when the kids were younger, to get like the triangle ringer with the metal on it to just like ring it so that everybody knows that it's dinner time. But it, it takes a little bit of effort to get everybody to the dinner table. You know, when I'm feeling lazy, texting does that make that a little bit easier now, you know. 
The older girls are down in the basement. I'm like, dinner, sinned. That, that's pretty lazy. I'll admit it, but I do do it sometimes, right? But think about how big the children of Israel are. And to get all their attention and all of them gathered together, there's this blowing of trumpet saying, it's time to gather. It's time to move. When they blew both of them, all of the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly is begin to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of gladness, in your appointed feasts, at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So also the trumpet is blown for war, saying we are going to war. An important trumpet to respond to, and then a call to worship, announcing these feasts of, of celebration. Every time we see things in the Old Testament, it pictures things in the New Testament. So what is a trumpet in the New Testament that has great importance? In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 and 52, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That last trumpet is going to be blown, ultimately, to gather God's people, to rapture up the church where we're brought to be with the Lord. The dead in Christ rise, and we look forward to that, don't we? We look forward to when that trumpet blows. I don't know about you, but the more I journey on this earth, the more I look forward to heaven. And I, and I love life. I'm excited to, to be alive and excited about what God, God is doing. So it's not that I don't enjoy this life, but I know that heaven's gonna be far, far greater. So whether I go home to be with the Lord through death or the rapture happens, it's gonna be glorious. And I vote for the rapture. That would be awesome. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see the rapture take place in our lifetime? And Jesus taught us to look for his return, to look for his imminent return, to be watching and, and waiting. We want to be found, found faithful. We don't want the second coming of Jesus Christ to take us by surprise. In verse 11, now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the children from above the tabernacle of the testimony and the children of Israel set out for the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Then the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Panaran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So now they're starting to experience this of being led by the cloud. The standard of the camp of the children of Judah set out 
First, according to their armies, over their army was Nashon, the son of Abinadab. So the tribe of Judah was to lead out first. Why is that significant? Because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's our ultimate leader. He leads us forth. He's the head. Our eyes are on Christ. So from verse 15 to verse 28 is the rest of the tribes and the order in which they were to march out. So we pick up in verse 29. Now Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the palace of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. To the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. So this is Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab. And Hobab is being recruited by Moses saying, come with us, be part of the people of God, enter into the promised land. It would be the equivalent of us today sharing the gospel, saying, know Christ, journey with us in Christ, have eternal life. And he said to him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. So Moses said, please do not leave insomuch as you have known how we are to camp in the wilderness and you can be our eyes. And it shall be, if you go with us, indeed, it shall be that whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same will do to you. So at first, Hobab says, no, I'm not gonna go. Then Moses says, we really need you. You're familiar with the wilderness, and you'll be our eyes. And that convinces Hobab to come. And as we're sharing the gospel, one of the things that we can share with people is, you know, as you come to know Christ, God has a plan for your life, and he wants to use you, and we, we need you, right? Man, your artistic ability could be really used for the kingdom of God. Your, your ability could sing, could really be used for, for the kingdom of God. I think of Billy, our worship pastor, and his dad leads worship, Will. You've probably seen him be here from time to time. He lives in South Carolina, and he comes out and leads worship uh, with his son. I always love it when that happens. And the way that Will came to know the Lord is he had a friend who said, hey, why don't you come play in our worship band? And Will didn't know, didn't know the Lord. We could really use you. And so Will said yes, and over a period of time, he got saved. When we were interviewing Billy for his position, one of his references was this family friend that invited Billy's dad to play on the worship team. And I got to call him and talk to him and, and hear the whole story. And here we're seeing, you know, generations of worship pastors by one guy in South Carolina saying, hey, you're really good at guitar. We could use you on our worship team. Now, there'd be some churches that would go, we can't have an unbeliever on the worship team, right? But that church took a risk and said, we want to have an unbeliever on the worship team because this is going to be a great opportunity to share the gospel. So I'm not an advocate of compromise. You guys know that. We always stick to, to the word of God. But I am an advocate to see people come to know Christ as their Savior. Do you know what the greatest evangelistic outreach of RMC is? allowing people to do community service here. You may not realize that, but we allow people that have been given a court order to do community service hours to come do it at Rocky Mountain Calvary. And I gotta tell you, we do need them. Like this is a huge facility 
And it's a huge blessing to have community service here, and they do a great job under Donnie's leadership. And I've oftentimes, people in the community come here and say, you've got the cleanest building in the city. And I say, well, that's because of community service. These chairs get vacuumed a whole, whole lot, right? But as we've allowed them to serve and allowed them to fulfill a need, they spend hours here at the church. Some of you have come to know Christ and become a, have been a part of RMC because of the community service program. And some people have a lot of hours, right? And it gives great opportunity to be able to share uh, the gospel. So I think Moses shows a good strategic approach here. When someone says no to the gospel, don't give up. Moses could have given up, but he persisted. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that says, if heaven and hell are true, nothing else matters. If heaven and hell aren't true, then nothing matters at all. It shows the reality of eternity and God giving us a burden for lost souls. So the chapter wraps up here in verse 33. So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey on three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for three days journey to search out a resting place for them. So Hobab goes with Moses to seek out a resting place. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day. And when they went out from the camp, so it was wherever the ark set out, that Moses said, rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee from before you. So when Moses saw the cloud move, he's like, let's go get them. It's time. It's time to fight the battle and may God win the victory against the enemies. When it rested, he said, return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. When God has us in that place of waiting to look for his soon return, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. You may have noticed as we are reading through the emphasis of God leading day by day. Okay, the cloud's staying put today. We're staying put today. All right, the cloud's moving today. Don't know what it's gonna be tomorrow, but today we're moving. I don't know about you, but I, I and my flesh really long for God to just lay out provision for the next 30, 40 years. It'd be really nice if the Lord said, okay, Eric, here's my provision until you go home to be with the Lord. Whew, I got nothing to worry about. God, you just, you gave the provision for, for 40 years. You, you, you gave the plan for 40 years. Well, what's the problem with that? I wouldn't depend upon the Lord in the same way. And if God did reveal what the plan was for the next 40 years, I'm sure I wouldn't agree with it. What does Jesus promise to us? Daily bread. Daily bread. Has God given provision, answers, and guidance for today? Do you know what you're supposed to do today? Okay, that's enough. That's where the cloud is today. I don't know what it's going to be tomorrow. God may have me on the move tomorrow. But this is where he has me today. And just enjoy being under the cloud. If the cloud's on the move, I'm on the move. If it's a season of waiting, then I'm going to be in a place of waiting. Have you ever had those seasons in your life where you just tried to rush it? Maybe you were in high school and college and all you could do is wait to get out and then you get one job and striving to get the next. A lot of times as, as parents, we're, we're trying to rush the stage that we're in with our kids. 
Oh man, my kid's six months old. I can't wait till they're potty trained. Okay, they're potty trained. I, I can't wait till they're in kindergarten. Okay, they're in kindergarten, you know. I can't wait till they're in, in middle school. And then all of a sudden they're in high school and you're trying to hit the brakes. Go, man, this went way too fast. Why did I rush this? Why was I in such a hurry? I, I should have enjoyed when they were at these, these other other stages. And we oftentimes do that in life. We're like, I can't get, wait to get here. I can't wait to get here. And instead, let's enjoy the journey. Let's, let's enjoy the presence of God. So tonight, let's enter into that. Let's enter into the fulfillment of the Passover. Let's enjoy communion together. Let's abide under the cloud. And where God's cloud takes us, let's walk in that. Amen? All right, let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make this passage real in our lives. We need your guidance. We need your comfort. We need your shade. We need your provision. Help us to be patient when we're waiting for answers, when we're waiting for direction. Help us to be flexible when you're on the move, when you have guided and you have directed. Jesus, we thank you that you are our Passover lamb that we can remember you tonight, that we can make much of you. So would you meet us afresh in communion? In Jesus' name, amen.